Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm excited to get into the Word because anytime we get into the Word, something miraculous can happen. It's really easy in church to kind of glaze over at this point because, you know, we hear the Word a lot and sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes it's, you know, I've heard this verse or I know this story or I've got a lot to do today or let me see what's on Instagram, right? I've been in church my whole life. I know I know what can happen. But if we consider the power of God's Word, the first time God spoke a word, He said light and light exploded into existence. And he spoke earth into existence and mountains and seas and animals and molecules and everything in creation responded in obedience to the word of God. And today we get to hear from his word. So what do you need created in your life? Do you need him to create more joy or strength or hope? Because his word will do that. What in your life needs to move in obedience to his word? Because if all of creation responds to his word, then so should we. Today, we get to be open to the word of God and how he's going to lead and direct us. And I'm really, really excited about it. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is... Jesus' last supper with his disciples. He's approaching his torture, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I'm always so mindful of these accounts in scripture at this time of year as we are approaching Easter because it reminds me what this is all about. What's really going on here? What Jesus did for me? And at this point, Jesus is telling his disciples what's about to happen to him. They don't really understand. And then he begins to discuss a relationship issue that is so central to the idea that we're gonna be focusing on today. So John 13, 21, out of the message, it says this. After he had said these things, Jesus became visibly upset. And then he told them why. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. One of the disciples, the one who Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. And Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus who Jesus might be talking about. So being the closest, this is John leaning on Jesus' chest. John says, Jesus, who? Like these guys have no clue what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus said, the one to whom I give this crust of bread after I've dipped it. Then he dipped the crust and gave it to Judas son of Simon the Iscariot. As soon as this bread was in his hand, Satan entered him. And Jesus looks at him and says, what you must do, said Jesus, do. Do it and get it over with. That's intense. Another version says, friend, what you must do, do quickly. So over the next few weeks, I want us to really dig into an idea that we're gonna start today in this series entitled Jesus and Judas, keeping the right heart when you've been wronged. Keeping the right heart when you've been wronged. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Whether we're here at Kissimmee or there at South Orlando or watching online, we declare that you deserve the praise and we lift it up as one house with many rooms. We're grateful for the privilege to be invited into your family. And today as we get into your words, speak to us, build us up and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I understand 
that the topic of betrayal is not one of the most energetic things that I could discuss. Yeah, like betrayal is something that is pretty heavy and can be pretty painful, but it's also common to the human experience. All of us have experienced it. Let's just get it out of the way. Raise your hand if you've ever been betrayed. Yeah, no pointing, please. Okay, <laughs> someone's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> All of us have been betrayed. When I was thinking about uh, what this topic reflects, I asked myself, okay, Justin, what is the earliest betrayal that you can remember? And the one that came to mind, I, was, I had to be like seven. We had just moved into a new house, and I'm an only child, so I had become accustomed to entertaining myself. And when we moved in, there was a little girl next door who was outside, saw the, the moving stuff, and came out and said, hi, my name's Jennifer, I wanna be your friend. And it was like in that moment, I had every dream realized like I was going to be one of those kids on TV that goes outside to play with friends because I never really like had that you know it's just not a thing so I was like oh my gosh we're gonna like play every day after school so it's typically what happened we would play every day after school Jennifer was she was really like funny a really nice friend and we had this big tree out in front of our house and she would climb it I was a little husky as a child so I just kind of watched her climb it because couldn't quite get a grip around the tree due to my physique but she was this tree climber it was super cool and then everything was fun until one day Jennifer's friend came over. And Jennifer's friend's name was Lindsay. And I'm sorry if your name is Lindsay, but that's the only right way to say that name, Lindsay. So Jennifer and Lindsay were outside one day when I got home from school and I was like, hey, are we gonna play? Guys, I was so young. And I remember Jennifer saying, actually, my mom said we have to do something so we can't play today. And I was so bummed because I had, I'm like, I've always been a planner even in childhood, and I, had rem I remember, this is vivid to my memory, laid out all the toys before school that we would play with when we got back, because I was like, we'll do this, and then we'll, I had a schedule, okay? Like, we're gonna play this, and then we'll play this, and then we'll play this, okay? So I, rem I remember going back inside, this is such a, such a vivid memory, putting my toys back in their place, like, oh man, Jennifer couldn't play, they're busy. So then I just started going about, you know, the after school stuff, just, you know, doing things around the house, and I happened to go outside near the tree uh, that, that we climbed and play at, and I walked outside and I looked up, and there sitting in the branch, playing and laughing, were Jennifer and Lindsay. <laughs> And it's super funny, but I remember in that moment feeling so betrayed. As a kid, as a seven-year-old, I remember thinking, you were supposed to be my friend. You lied to me. You told me you were busy, but you actually just didn't want to play with me. And I remember turning around, going inside the house and saying, I'm never going to be anyone's friend again. No one's nice. And it's funny, like now, looking back, and it's laughable, but I think that... All of us can see in that child's play, betrayal, how each of us respond to much more serious betrayal, yeah. right? Like the chuckles were kind of nervous laughs, even when I was telling the story, because it's like, <laughs> I have a Jennifer in my life, <laughs> right? It's like, I've been hurt. And even though the little kid saying, no one's ever gonna be my friend, I'm not gonna trust anyone, even though we can look back at that child, and see those childish emotions, I think if we're all honest, betrayal causes all of us to do the same thing today as grown adults. It causes us to question everything and everyone, and it hurts so deeply. Betrayal, it impacts us in a significant way because it is the violation of all of our trust 
the violation of all of our hope and our belief. It is the falling apart of our plans. We picture a relationship looking a certain way. And then when someone betrays us, everything begins to shift and change. And it can be so painful. I have the privilege of walking, al- walking alongside so many people with so many stories. And I know that betrayal is something that many of us carry for years, for years. It can impact the way that we think and the way that we live. And the reason that I want to dive into this idea is because I prayed so much about it. I see in Jesus an example for how to navigate betrayal. It's something he experienced, how to keep the right heart even when we've been wronged. But before we can appreciate the way that Jesus navigates his betrayals, we have to understand the relationship that he has with Judas. This Easter season, I love the ramp up to Easter, but I think that something that we miss about these gospel narratives is that these are real people with real emotions. I have like a personal vendetta to make sure we understand that Jesus was a person as much as he was God. Like he had emotions, he felt things. Because if we reduce him to this emotionless, robotic savior, then there's no way for us to have an example of how to actually live this life. But Jesus had feelings, he felt close to people, he trusted, he cried, he laughed, he lived the human experience and these guys were friends. And it's really easy for us to look back at Jesus and see him as this emotionless saint and to see Judas as this guy with the horns and he's evil and this villain. It's easy for us to villainize Judas because we know the end of the story, right? But even though we know the end of the story, we have to understand when we're reading parts of the story that the people living it didn't know the end. It hadn't been written yet. The story was still in process. And every time we read about Judas anywhere in scripture, It says this, and then there was Judas, parentheses, the one who betrayed Jesus, right? So it's almost like there's this bum, bum, bum every time we read Judas' name. Why is it that every time his name is written, there's this parenthetical citation about his greatest failure, his greatest problem? Why is it that every time his name is read, that you have to know the worst part about him? Imagine if every time your name was said, there was parentheses after it with the worst part about you. Why is it that every time in scripture, Judas is villainized? Because of the men who wrote the stories we're reading. Matthew, Mark, John. They're being written by the men that were hurt and betrayed by Judas. They're writing, they can't write his name without putting those parentheses. I bet their pen stroke was just a little bit harder when they got to Judas' name because they have to express, this is the guy who betrayed us. They wrote these things after Jesus has resurrected, the church is building, everything is better now, right? Everything's fixed, and yet when they bring up the name of Judas, they can't help but let you know, this is the guy who betrayed Jesus. And I think it's such an example of you and I. Some of us have, are, are living the dream, yeah? You've established your family, you've got the house you wanted, the job you wanted, everything is good, the story has its happy ending, but if you were to bring up something from 10 years ago, instantly, that person or that event, the emotions are evoked all over again. The story is completely different now, but you still carry the pain of betrayal. Betrayal sticks on us and sticks with us. And that's why it's so easy for us to villainize Judas because we're reading about him through the eyes and heart and filter of the men he betrayed. He had friendship with Jesus and with these dudes. 
it's really important for us to understand the relationship of these guys. I have to appeal to the guys in the room for just a moment. Ladies, humor me for a second. But these guys did three years of ministry together. They didn't have a car, but it was basically the most epic road trip ever. They would go to one town, Jesus would preach for, you know, two hours. Then certainly, if you're a church person, you know what you do after you preach and have a great service. What do you do? You go out, yes, thank you. You go out to eat. These 12 dudes would go out to eat. They spent three years doing this. Dudes, if you're spending three years with each other on a road trip, you know it's like a tight bond. Like these are your dudes. And there's like a bro code that happens. Imagine, guys, all of the inside jokes, all of the, the, the pranks. Certainly there were pranks. Half of these guys were fishermen, right? So certainly there were some pranks. Certainly there were some unfortunate smells on the trip. Certainly there were some, some moments of, of vulnerability. Like they trusted each other. They traveled together, and I, I, I can so easily relate to this because that's, you, like, I feel like girl world is a little weird sometimes. I tell my wife this all the time. All the ladies started nodding. See, you all agree. Girl world is weird because there's, like, all these rules and ways you navigate, like, being a, a girl and relating to other people. If you put 10 dudes in a, in a bus and say you're going to be on a road trip for 25 hours, all 10 of those dudes know exactly how this event is going to go. We know exactly what kind of jokes to make. We know exactly the bond we're going to form. We know how this is going to be. That's how Jesus and these guys lived their lives together. They were friends. Remember, Jesus chose Judas. He said, hey, come follow me. And certainly in being fully God, he knew what was going to happen. But also being fully man, he saw something in Judas you don't just invite someone into your inner circle for no reason. He saw something in Judas. I wonder what that was. Maybe it was Judas' ability to have plans and figure out how to make them happen, even if he had to do it all himself. I mean, ultimately, that's what led to his demise, right? His schemes. But that could, be, that could have been a great trait. Maybe Judas was the one that made the plans for their ministry trips, thinking, all right, then we got to go here. Guys, I got all the details. I figured this all out. Like, I know how to do this. I've been thinking three steps ahead. Maybe that was Judas' best quality, is that he's always thinking three steps ahead, and that he's got a great poker face, and that even if things are good or bad, he can keep a straight face. Maybe he's a great businessman. He's a negotiator. I don't know what it is, but Jesus saw potential in Judas and took a risk on Judas. And it's so easy for us going into this story, thinking about Jesus being betrayed. When we look at the story, let me just address the elephant in the room. When we talk about betrayal in this story, for us to hear it and say, I'm Jesus. And all the people in my life that hurt me, they're Judas. Right, like who are the Judases in my life? Cause I'm Jesus. Friend, be very careful. You all know I, I quite enjoy performing and acting. Don't cast yourself in that lead role because you might not fit the part. I think the humbling truth is today is if we're honest, there's a little bit of Judas in each of us. And the point of this series is to purge that Judas out of us so we can be more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to keep the right heart in all things. And a sobering truth is as hard as you try, like it or not, you are probably the Judas in someone else's story. Intentionally or unintentionally. 
That's really hard for me because I like to be liked. I love to be liked. Like it just feels so good when people like me and it energizes me. And when I find out someone doesn't like me, it like doesn't compute. Like how, what, what is, what do I have to do to make them like me? I don't know. I'm just showing all my cards in church. Hopefully someone can relate. Anyone relate? I like you. I like you. I like you. I like you. You're all cool. But even when you're trying your best to be liked, even with the best intentions, something can occur and you end up being the catalyst for someone else's pain, their, their, their turmoil, not to mention the times when you intentionally did something hurtful. We're not all saints, friends. There are certainly moments where we have been Judas in someone else's story and the point of all of this is how to posture our hearts in such a way so that we can be more like Jesus. Consider that Jesus chose Judas. Before Judas was, even that verse, when it says he called him, it says Jesus chose Judas, the one who would betray him. Because the gospel writer had to let you know. But that day, Jesus was, or Judas wasn't the betrayer, he was the chosen. Think about that. On that day, Judas was just the chosen one. Do you think he was doomed to betray Jesus? Or do you think Jesus really believed in Judas? Do you think he said, maybe I'll take a risk on him? Maybe I'll take a risk on him. I'm grateful that Jesus took a risk on me because I'm not 100% through and through reliable and yet he still invited me in. I get it wrong sometimes and he still invited me in. He invited you in. We have betrayed him and yet he said, hey, come follow me. Hey, come close to me. Be in my inner circle. And you're like, are you sure I'm going to mess something up? And he says, I'm going to take a chance on you. I'm going to give freely, no strings attached. That's unconditional love. We all aspire to have unconditional love, but really the way we posture ourselves is I'm going to love you, but if you ever, right? That's not love. That's self-preservation. Love says, hey, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to be vulnerable. And that's what Jesus did. He chose Judas. He, tr he traveled with him. He did life with him. Right before this passage, he washed his feet. Can we think about that? Jesus washed Judas' feet probably a few hours before Judas betrayed him. Knowing what Judas was going to do, and yet Jesus said, you're going to do your thing, but that doesn't change who I am. I am a servant of many, and I'm going to keep being me even though I know what you're doing behind my back. I'm going to keep being me. And what's amazing is he didn't do it vindictively. Like, he didn't give him, like, a little harder pedicure, like, scrape his foot or anything. He served him with the same love that he served John, his closest disciple. Because if Jesus were to treat Judas differently, that would compromise Jesus' heart. But Jesus kept the right heart the whole time and loved purely, which is almost unthinkable for us. But when we look at this friendship between Jesus and Judas, and you have to understand it's a friendship. You have to appreciate it's a friendship. And all of these guys had a friendship. You know how it's so clear to me how much love and trust they had? Because when Jesus said someone in this room is going to betray him, if all of us were there, we would go, Judas. But all of them were saying, there's no way. Like we, there's no, no one even questioned Judas. Even the three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, even in their whispers, they said, who is this? Because they trusted Judas. You have to understand how much trust is here and how much friendship is here because if you don't understand that, then the betrayal doesn't carry the same weight. They trusted him implicitly. And so when we look back on their friendship, there's these 
red flags that occur. And anytime you and I have been betrayed, if you're like me, you look back over the whole friendship, the whole relationship, the whole, the whole uh, history, and you say, oh, I should have seen it here, and I should have known here, and why didn't I ask this question here? And there's usually red flags that are leading up to damaging conflicts like this. And there's a few moments I want to highlight in their friendship. In John 12, verse 3, a woman is pouring out perfume on Jesus' feet. It says, Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, John had to put that in there because he's mad. He's hurt. He objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and all the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. John now inserts his feelings. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now back to the story. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is a moment of conflict in Jesus and Judas' relationship. It's pretty tense when G- for Jesus to say, hey, leave her alone. Like there's some tension here. It's a a moment of conflict in their relationship. But what Judas said on paper seems pretty good, right? Like, hey, if we sell this, we could help so many people. Like, it's the right words. But I want you to think back to what Pastor taught us last week. And if you didn't hear it, please listen to it like 10 times this week. You can say the right words with the wrong spirit. Judas is checking all the boxes externally, but he is not in alignment with Jesus. He's saying something right, but he's in the wrong place. And in our relationships, if we do not address misalignment between us and the people that we are close to, then we are asking for conflict to come into our relationships. If you're going to have healthy relationship, friends, married couples, I'm especially talking to you. If you're going to have healthy, thriving relationships and protect yourself from unnecessary damage, then you have to have hard and honest conversations the moment that misalignment occurs. Say, hey, hey, can we talk? Now, obviously you do it in a wise way and you do it lovingly, but you've got to have honest conversations and fight to get back on the same page, whatever it takes. That means both of you might have to say, I was right, I was wrong, but you're going to have to figure out how to get back on the same page. But so few of us are unwilling to have those tough conversations because we want to avoid the discomfort. But by Pushing for comfort, we are tolerating dysfunction in our relationships. By never addressing dysfunction in our relationships, we are inviting the breaking of relationships into our lives. We have to have honest and tough and real conversations. It's what it takes to maintain a healthy relationship. And in this moment, Judas is out of alignment with Jesus. And what I love here is John inserts his thoughts. He's like, yeah, he said this sounding so generous, but actually he was a thief. He stole from the money bag, which no one knew then. John only knows that after the fact when he's writing the story down. But to me, that displays even more how trusted Judas was. Because dudes, if we're all on a road trip and we suddenly, you know, like we want to, you know, play a sport or, you know, sprint or something and we want someone to hold our phone and wallet, are you going to give it to the guy you trust least or most? They gave Judas the money. Why? Because they trusted Judas the most. I want you to understand how deep this betrayal ran. No dude is handing over his wallet to a guy he thinks like slides a few out every now and then. You're giving it to the guy that you would trust your life with. 
I would, you, it's the kind of person that's like, yeah, I trust my life with him. I would have him raise my kid if he needed to. Like, I trust this guy with everything. And Judas, that one guy they trusted the most. Because Matthew didn't get the money bag. And, 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 and John didn't get the money bag. And Philip didn't get the money bag. Judas got the money bag because the whole group trusted him the most. That's where the betrayal came from. We have to have real conversations to be able to get alignment back into our relationships. And I just consider how important it is. You know, South Orlando, I'm thinking of you. I, I love our location there and, and how on Sunday mornings at Cypress Creek High School, we come together. But I know what it's like. Kissimmee, South Orlando, online. On Sundays, you can kind of just go through the motions and do church while you have major relationship conflict pending in your life. We have got to have real conversations. That's what this is all about, about letting love permeate our lives. And we've got to get into alignment with each other. Another interesting red flag is found in Luke 22 when Judas is doing something behind Jesus' back. At the celebration of the Passover lamb uh, was approaching, the Jewish re religious leaders and scholars of the law continually schemed to find a way to murder Jesus without starting a riot because they feared the crowds. But at that time, Satan himself entered into Judas the locksmith. Who, he was called the locksmith because he held the keys and the lock to the bag. He was one of the 12 apostles. He secretly went to the religious hierarchy and the captains of the temple guards to discuss with them how he could betray Jesus and turn him over to their hands. The religious hierarchy was elated over Judas' treachery, and they agreed to give him a sum of money in exchange for Jesus' betrayal. Judas vowed that he would find them a suitable opportunity to betray Jesus when he was away from the crowds. Judas was playing games behind Jesus' back. I can remember a really strange season in my life where I developed uh, an unhealthy fear of what people were saying behind my back. To the point where, I mean, this, it's, it was so permeating that every time I would leave a room, I, I would get triggered by this thought. When I would hear the door close, the sound of that door closing, I would think, now that that door's closed, what are they saying about me? Right when I left the room. But friends, there is nothing you can do about what people are doing behind your back. You cannot control people. You cannot worry about people. You can't spend your energy thinking about that. The more important question is what are you doing when no one's watching? Wow, that's good. That's good. We never ask ourselves that question. That's the more important question. Because you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. What are you doing when you're not seen? What are you saying behind their backs? I, I didn't say this in any of the other services, and this is not totally related, but I do feel like it's important to say here, just a little food for thought in your relationships. I've learned this. If someone's not talking to you about your problems, they're talking about your problems to someone else. Because relationships are filled with problems. And I would rather the relationships that someone comes to me and says, hey, you are selfish. <laughs> Like, you, you only, like, think about yourself, and it annoys me sometimes. I love you, but can we, like, work on this? Because if they're not saying that to your face, they're certainly saying it behind your back. I would always rather someone talk to me than about me. And you need relationships that have that kind of honesty. If you have someone that always just gives lip service to how awesome you are, be really careful. Because you aren't that awesome. Don't believe them. <laughs> It's dangerous to pursue relationships that only make you feel good. I don't want a relationship that makes me feel good. I want a relationship that makes me good. It refines me. It sharpens me. It makes me better. Yeah? 
And so in this moment when Judas is doing things in, in secret and scheming, we have to learn, because remember, all of us can be Judas. We have to learn how, how does someone go from the chosen, the called, to the betrayer? That's a big jump, and it's happening right here. And there's a part of this passage that says, Satan himself entered Judas' heart. So dramatic, right? Like, this is how I picture it, like, and his eyes turn black, and like Judas starts climbing up a wall and like cracking his neck, right? I don't think it was quite that way. Sometimes we uh, make Hollywood kind of take over. Just some basic, like, basic theology. The devil can't just say, all right, you, I'm taking over your body. It's not how it works. When I see that Satan entered Judas' heart, what I read is that there was an open door. Judas had let his guard down. The enemy does not have the power to kick the walls down of your heart and say, I'm in charge now. Because the enemy is defeated. He has lost his power. He is a defeated foe. We give too much credit to the devil who's already been defeated. The only thing he can do is slide through a door that you left open. And the way we go from the chosen one to the betrayer is by leaving doors open in our lives. You have to make a decision about every action and choice that you make, seen and unseen. Because those choices give access in our lives. And your choices can either give the spirit of God more access into your life, or it can give the enemy more access into your life. Because disobedience removes us from the promised blessing and protection of God and exposes us to everything outside of that. And you know what, frankly, I don't want to know what's out there. I want to stay right here under the covering of my father. But every choice you make opens a door. Am I opening the door to heaven or am I opening a door to destruction? Every choice matters. And we have to be people of integrity when we're seen or when we're unseen. What led to him making this horrific choice? It seems like maybe it was his greed, how like every now and again he would slip money from the bag. And maybe he had, he had his justifications for that, right? Like, I take care of all these, these 11 other dudes. I make sure we got food. I schedule our events. Jesus always stays talking to people. We have a schedule and some dude on the side of the road stops him and now we're an hour late. I keep everything going. I deserve a little bit of money, right? Seems like a good justification. We all can justify our sinful actions. We all have a story that we tell ourselves like, well, I'm in control of this thing. It's just every now and then. I only use this substance because, you know, my life is really crazy and it's my way to just have a moment to myself. Or this DM on the side. I'm not actually ever going to do anything with this person. I love my spouse. This is just something that makes me feel good. You better be very careful entertaining what makes you feel good because you are throwing open a door into your life that you might soon regret and never be able to close again. You have to be so careful. Like I said, I walk with lots of people through lots of things, high points and really low points, and it breaks my heart that almost, almost invariably, when someone is at the worst moment of their life, when people have lost their, thrown away their families, thrown away, you know, like significant points in their life, thrown away friendships, when they are, are feeling down and broken, you know, if I'm praying with them and sitting with them, almost everyone says the same thing, and I want to shed light on this for a moment. Almost everyone says this, I never meant for it to be like this. How did, how did I get here? I didn't intend for it to blow up like this. Friend, no one intends to throw their life away. No one wakes up one day and says, all right, time to torch it all. No one sets out with that intention. 
But if we do not keep our guard up, we make one small choice after the other, and then eventually we no longer have control of ourselves because we have opened a door, and once that door is open, we are inviting destruction into our lives. The only way to protect yourself is to shut that door and lock that door and not even make the first decision. Even if the first decision is harmless, it's harmful because it gets you one step closer to the worst decisions of your life. We're all one choice away from being Judas. So we have to make a decision about how we're going to live and what kind of integrity we're going to operate with. And so all of that now leads up to this Last Supper, how Jesus faces betrayal. He knows what's going on. He looks at Judas and he says, friend, what you do, do quickly. What? (laughs) Can you fathom saying that? Can you fathom looking your betrayer in the eyes and saying, bring it on. Friend, do this quickly. Let's go. Don't wait a second more. Let's do this. Do you think when Jesus said friend, he was being sarcastic? Or did he, did he love purely? It's a question for you to wrestle with. Did Jesus still have the right heart, even looking into the face of his betrayer? I think he did. Which means we can It's going to take a lot of work to get there, but it means we can. Because Jesus understood that anything, even a betrayal, even a betrayer, when faced with the right perspective, anything that comes against me can be used as an advancement toward my destiny and toward my assignment in life. And so, friend, if you're going to do this, do it quick because it's only going to get me closer to the mission and assignment that I'm here for because you can't stop me, you can't break me, you can't devalue me. So if you're going to do this, do it because I'm on assignment. I'm on mission. You tried to keep me back from my destiny, but betrayal can only push me forward to my destiny if I stay focused on my assignment. The way I'll say it is this, and hopefully you can remember this, when you get stabbed in the back, let it push you forward. Yeah, when you get stabbed in the back, let it push you forward. No matter how hard that person hit you, use that momentum and let it propel you toward the assignment that God has on your life. Is it gonna hurt? Yes. Are you gonna cry? Absolutely. Can betrayal hurt you? Yes. Can betrayal end you? Absolutely not. If you make a decision to not stop here and cry here and die here and camp here, yes, you might have a pace that is slowed down, but you have to make a choice to keep moving forward because betrayal cannot end us. Betrayal cannot stop us if we have a focus on the assignment God has given us. And if betrayal has been paralyzing you for years, it's an indication that at some point you went from mission-focused to person-focused. It means that person may have gained so much emotional real estate in your life that you have been unable to function, to answer the call, to move forward. And if Jesus can go through the worst betrayal that anyone ever has, and he can look it in the face and say, do this quickly. Come on, I invite it, bring it on because I'm only gonna use this. It's gonna happen. Friend, you will get betrayed. It's going to happen. So if it's gonna happen, why not use it? 
If it's going to happen, why not let it be something that pushes you forward? Jesus made a choice to keep the right heart even though he'd been wronged. Jesus didn't change his mission. He didn't change his focus. He didn't change his perspective. He said, let's do the thing because betrayal cannot stop me here. You have an assignment. You have a call. You have a purpose. And if you have allowed someone else's actions to stop you from going after the call of God on your life, then today is a day to wake up to your responsibility. I tell my son this all the time. I say, you are in charge of your emotions. You're in charge of your emotions. And he always says, but they were mean to me. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your heart and your soul. I'm talking about what's going on in here. Betrayal is only as powerful as you make it. And if betrayal has been paralyzing you, let me remind you that Jesus suffered it, but he still fulfilled his purpose, right? He still pursued that assignment and he did not stop. And I know for a fact there are people in the room who have been carrying the pain of betrayal with them for years, some decades. Hear me well, you are not damaged goods. You're not devalued. You're not disqualified. For some people, you have allowed someone else's betrayal to, to cause you to question who you are. You've made it doubt who you are. And what they did to you says more about who they are than about who you are. Do not allow someone else's actions to cloud your perspective of who God has made you to be. If you have been hurt, if you've been abused, if you've been wronged, I want you to understand that you are still in the place where God can, can bring you forward and restore a sense of worth and identity to your life, but you have to be able to keep the right heart. It's not fair what many people have had done to them. It's not fair what you've been through. It's not fair that now you have to work through it and I'm sorry that you do, but you must. You have to work and crawl and fight to get to the right heart because if you can't keep the right heart, then you're just gonna end up letting that thing or that person continue to defeat you over and over. But if you can, like Jesus, posture yourself on assignment and say, I'm going to accomplish the goal no matter what, then you can use that thing that almost broke you as something that can propel you. And I believe today that there is liberty in the room now, this is not a teaching about relationship restoration. There's plenty of biblical guidelines for what to do when you've been wronged. Like you need to go to the person and if they don't respond, then bring another person. And if that doesn't work, bring in a church leader. I'm not talking about lateral restoration. I'm talking about inner restoration. I'm talking about what's happening on the inside of you right now. Don't ever let a person have the power to break your spirit. Your spirit belongs to God. And today, let me encourage you. Betrayal is neither fatal nor final. You can and will rise up from this if you make a decision to keep the right heart. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.